Welcome into the Yachts and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Perry, Merrick Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Wednesday. A uh, couple days away from Oregon's coaching staff being able to host recruits. And guys, uh, the entire staff is here now. It's it's intact. That's what we're going to talk about now on the show. We've we've been waiting like, I don't know what, two, <laughs> two or three weeks to, to do this one. Uh, because we, were, we wanted to wait until every coach was officially announced. Some of them obviously were done before uh, they were announced, but we wanted to wait until we have the full staff in place. And Dan Lanning is in Eugene. Uh, he he's arrived. The coaching staff Tuesday night had their first kind of in-person all-together meeting. Um, a lot of these guys probably seeing their new digs for the first time this week. Uh, and I, I, I think you look at the staff as a whole, guys, let's start here. It's really young, and I think that could be a very good positive thing uh, for, for Oregon. And it could also be something that you wonder, you know, there's not a lot of experience. What's Does that hurt them at all in any way? I don't think it will, but I think you have to ask that question. No, it has to be asked, Matt. It does. And in part because a lot of these guys are in, it's not just that they're inexperienced relative to like other coaches out there, but they're inexperienced at these jobs. Like, you know, we've, we've been through this before, so yeah. I won't belabor it too much, but Dan Lanning's never been a head coach. Jalen Ham's never been a play caller. Um, you know, how, how is Tosh going to, I mean, I guess Tosh will be in a similar space, Tosh Lupoy, um, because Dan Lanning will have a huge part in running a defense, but I was going to say, even in Alabama, a lot of people said, was that a Nick Saban defense or a Tosh Lupoy defense? And I guess, again, there'll be similar questions asked now because Dan Lanning will play clearly a large role in what Oregon will do defensively, but you just kind of up and down the, the list. And it's a lot of guys who, who've some of the, oh, I shouldn't say a lot of guys. Some of these guys have done this for a decade plus other guys who are really new at this, uh, you know, coach Carlos Lachlan, the running backs coach, like <laughs> incredible story of, of his rise. I don't know if we talked about it on this podcast of, of being a law enforcement agent in Memphis and, and being a volunteer high school coach and then making a personal decision that he wanted to pursue collegiate football coaching. And within a couple of years of working in a weight room at Florida State, he's now a full-time running back coach at Oregon. This is his second full-time collegiate football on-field position. He was also the running backs coach at Western Kentucky. Um, but like the, that's another interesting story of a guy who has some inexperience. He's not quite as young as some of the other guys. He's not a sub-35, which – I think by my count, there are four of maybe maybe five um, on this on this group. If you count some of the off the field guys, so it's a it is a young staff. It's really interesting. It's a, it's quite it's definitely a deviation from previous Oregon staffs. Um, when you go back to what the school's you know football staff looked like under you know Chip Kelly or Mark Kelfrich, that was a lot of people who'd been in Eugene for twenty years and that were in their fifties and sixties. Yeah. Um, under Mario Cristobal, it was kind of a mix of youth, but also some of these. More veteran guys, obviously not ones that had been in Eugene quite as long, but collectively, this is definitely a change. I, I do like it. I'm intrigued by it. I think the we can get into a lot of reasons why, but just a thing off the cuff for me is is just the recruiting angle here of a lot of these guys have track records that are very impressive as recruiters, um, bringing in five-star talent. And I think the other part in terms of the recruiting thing is it's not just the success they've had. It's you know the multitude of... I guess, geogra geographical success, the, the, the fact that there have been pretty multiple in terms of whether it's the Southeast for Tosh Lupoy, but he's also been you know very successful on the West Coast. Um, a lot of these coaches have been in different parts of this country, and I think that'll play a role. I think maybe the the one 
portion you feel like is maybe a little lacking is maybe the Northeast, but even Joe Lorig spent some time up there and yeah. Drew Maringer spent some time up there. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 I think it's, it's a really interesting staff from a recruiting perspective. I think it's a really interesting staff overall. Um, the youth is what I'm most interested in. And I think it's absolutely fair to question um, the coaching pedigree and the talent that necessarily brings in, because like Eric said, a lot of these guys haven't been um, full-time guys yet, meaning full-time play callers. Uh, Carlos Lachlan hasn't been a full-time collegiate on the field coach yet. Um, hasn't really come close to that. I mean, his biggest coaching experience was coaching in high school, which is great. Um, so this will be, it'll be an interesting ride to follow, but there are a lot of guys who have been coaching on the field and have had um, like Joe Lorig, like Eric mentioned was is Penn state's defensive uh, or special teams coordinator. And, you know, he's been, he's been ha having that position for almost two decades now in college football. And so coaches like that are absolutely necessary, but the youth movement, I think, is a great example of where a lot of football is headed to in general. Um, yep. College football usually doesn't take that route. Or they usually go something different than the NFL. Um, last, I don't know, probably five or six years, the NFL has kind of gone in this youth movement with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan um, and, and that kind of coaching tree and um, have been trying to see if they can get a competitive advantage or just bring a new mind into the game. And for some reason, I, I do feel like that's kind of what Oregon is doing. Maybe they did that coincidentally. Maybe they did that with a purpose by hiring Dan Lanning, who's uh, a Kirby smart, smart disciple, because now Kirby has been a head coach for so long that he's beginning to have these disciples. And it's not just um, who worked with Nick Saban the longest. So I think this will be a really good test to see how um, maybe <laughs> a good test to see how Kirby smart is as a head coach and a mentor. But also a good test to see if this is um, a sustainable movement. Um, I also think it's another. It's it's interesting on the overall shape of college football, where you see Oregon and, and schools like Oklahoma open up, and they both hire defensive-minded head coaches. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to continue to be a trend overall in college football, where um, they shy a little bit away from offense. But I've said on on, on this podcast in the past, I do think that finding an elite defensive mind is much harder than finding an elite offensive mind. And if you can secure an elite defensive mind, I feel like that is a significant upgrade um, compared to finding an elite offensive mind. And it's somebody that you would like to keep around for a long time, because as we saw Monday on the national championship, defense can really solidify your chances of winning the national championship. Both Georgia and Alabama's defenses are, you know, two top 10 programs in the country. Uh, George is probably number one. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. Not probably. They are number one. I mean, you just yeah. watched them play all year long and it was ridiculous what they did. So, you know, bringing that type of defense and mentality to Eugene is going to pay massive dividends down the line. Um, obviously it helps Georgia when they have like 15, 16, five stars on the roster. So, That'll always help, but you know Oregon has their own special playmakers on their team. They have their own set of talents, um, and Lanning at his age is able to go and recruit from a high level. Um, we've heard a lot in in college football that recruiting is a young man's game. Um, the staff is a young man's staff. A lot of guys just barely over 30 in their mid thirties uh, who have had already had a great track record of being a good recruiting staff. 
So I'm, I'm really excited to see where that develops. Um, the coaching pains in year one will certainly be there, just like they are with any staff um, and every staff in the country, not even just in year one. But I think regardless, it's, gonna, it's a huge step in the right direction for Oregon going forward, especially post Mario Cristobal. Dan Landing obviously comes from Georgia. He was their defensive coordinator. Uh, Kenny Dillingham is Oregon's offensive coordinator. He was uh, quarterback's coach and OC at Florida State. Uh, Tosh Lupoy is the defensive coordinator at Oregon. He came from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, and then associate head coach, offensive line coach, Adrian Clem. Junior Adams is the co-offensive coordinator, receivers coach. Joe Lorig is the special teams coach, as well as Nichols. Uh, Matt Powledge is the co-defensive coordinator. Uh, Carlos Lachlan is your running back coach. Demetrius Martin is your cornerbacks coach, tight, uh, passing game coordinator. Drew Maringer is your tight ends coach. And Tony Toyote is your defensive line coach. I think two things stand out here. One, Tosh Lupoy and Adrian Clem come from NFL jobs. I think that's also a very interesting and very positive uh, aspect of this staff is they can they can certainly talk about a lot of these guys, Lanning, Lupoy, um, I believe Wilson Love, the strength coach, um, and maybe missing one other one, have been on staffs to have won national championships before. Landing won it this year for a second time. So that not only do they have coaches that have said, hey, I've been to the mountaintop, I've won a national championship, I've been a part of a staff that knows how to get there. They also have two guys that say that can go on the road and also in on the football field and say, I have coached at the highest of levels in this sport. I know what an NFL player is like. I know how to develop those players. Let me be the one to help you get there. I, I think those are two interesting aspects of the staff. I think it's huge that you have Dan Lanning. I mean, we talked we talked about this. I mean, okay, just to set a couple of things here. I mean, we, we discussed would it be better if, if Georgia got knocked out early so Lanning had more time in Eugene to kind of get settled or if he made a, a run at a national championship and I guess the national – kind of narratives that form because of it. And I think we're starting to see already that the, the latter is true. I, I think the fact that, that he was the defensive coordinator on a national championship team that shut, I mean, really shut down Alabama for four quarters. I know Alabama had injuries. I've seen that mentioned many times. They were down their two top receivers. You can't discount that. But still a really impressive performance from a Georgia team. And that is not an aberration for what they've done all season. In fact, the the aberration game was the SEC championship where Alabama torched them. I and mean, if you just want to look at the way their season played out. So I think it's, it's, it's really significant that not only are you hiring Dan Laning, who is this really exciting up and coming defensive minded coach, but he's one who just, his, his most recent experiences, his track record is, is impeccable. It's the highest level of winning and success the sport can offer. Um, and he comes to, to Oregon with that. And you heard it on the telecast a couple of times of, Dan Lanning, the new Oregon head coach, you know, coaching this defense. And I think that's going to be very significant. I, you know, I, I, I don't anticipate that there are going to be many recruits who are, I guess, disinterested from, especially defensive recruits, playing for a coach like Dan Lanning with his track record right now. That is something that will, I think, open the doors for a lot of recruits. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and kind of what the immediate fallout is. Um, with this class because there are still some highly regarded 
2022 recruits out there, and there are still some guys in the portal that are highly regarded. How, how much momentum can Oregon and Dan Lanning carry from, I know it's strange to say, from Georgia, but I do think there will be some of that. I mean, I, I do think the fact that he's coming over with the success most recently and his role there being what it was, that'll pay some dividends. And this is the, these are kind of the, I think had they lost to Michigan or to Alabama, I think we'd feel a little differently about kind of what's, I mean, not to say we would diminish his accomplishments entirely, but there's a different level of momentum coming off a championship run. And I, I think it's going to be uh, one that, 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 that benefits Oregon. Um, I'm not sure exactly how, but from a recruiting perspective, I can't imagine it's a bad thing on the trail right now to, to say, I just won a national championship. Um, he's in Eugene now, as Matt said, um, building relationships with the team and, and the coaching staff. You could tell with the team, just the, I did a story on kind of their reactions on Twitter and, and they watched and they were impressed. They got a see, you know, he, it's not just that he won over, you know, prospective student athletes. It's, He's kind of, because of success at Georgia, had an opportunity to kind of win over some of his players at Oregon and show what they can do at, at Oregon at their his defense. So I think all of that's a huge net victory. And then, yeah, collectively having a couple other coaches mentioned Kajna play. Wilson Love was, a, I think, a player for a couple of Alabama championships. Marshall Malkow was also at school um, as a graduate assistant at Alabama during a national championship. I don't think anybody else, unless I'm woefully mistaken, has won so. But to have some championship pedigree is huge on staff. And that was something Mario Cristobal was able to also bring a couple of years ago to Oregon with himself, with uh, Bobby Williams. I might miss an assistant coach there who he had coached with and won a title with as well. But you know, you get the picture. It, it, it's beneficial. It helps. And, and then it becomes the responsibility and the role of the new coach to go out and prove that he can accomplish similar things at his new school. But because of the success George has just had, I think Landing is able to hit the ground running a little bit more fast than he would have been otherwise. A little bit. I'm not saying it's a huge difference, but I think it's 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 a significant little note here. I think Oregon's ability to get NFL guys to come back is interesting. I don't I don't necessarily look at it as a great thing. I don't necessarily look at it as a bad thing. Um, you know, I'd like to say that Adrian Clem was probably on his way out of Pittsburgh as the offensive line coach just for how poorly they performed this year. Um, I also want to attribute that to, you know, they lost a lot of players this year. A lot of offensive linemen were injured for the for the Steelers. Um, they lost Villanueva in the offseason. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched all of the games, but they, you know, they had to protect Big Ben, too, who is probably the, the, the most sackable quarterback in the NFL right now. They just can't move. Um, it's a difficult job. Uh, and Luke Boy has been uh, going from team to team the last couple of years in the NFL. Um, but the NFL is a tough, tough coaching experience, obviously it's, it's the pinnacle of, of, of football. Um, so that gives me hope to think that, you know, if, if Clem can be in like in 2019 as the offensive line coach of the Steelers, Steelers had a great offensive line. They had good talent, um, well coached, all that stuff. If he can have that type of success in the NFL, at least for one year, you know, he can do it at Oregon where his entire offensive line from the year before comes back, who was, you know, they're well-coached and well-developed by Cristobal and, and, and Coach Alex Mirabal as well. Um, so that gives me confidence in that. Um, and, you know, he's – this it's coaching from the NFL to the NCAA is, is different. I think, honestly, I would think it's a little harder because you have to deal with 18-year-olds rather than, like, 30-year-old men. 
and you have to recruit and things like that. But I feel good about Clem coming back to Oregon. I do think it's a major hire for the Ducks for Lanning um, to just reach in in the middle of the season too and just yeah. take away the offensive line coach. But that, again, that kind of gives me a reason as to why um, maybe Pittsburgh wasn't wasn't uh, really sad about seeing him go <laughs> in the middle of the season. But for Lupoy, um, obviously his, his recruiting carries with him. Um, he was a defensive coordinator for Alabama in their uh, championship game loss to Clemson, I believe it was, in 2018. Um, he worked there for a couple of years. You know, he's, he's worked under some great coaches. He's learned through the game. Um, he's had his personal – or his not his personal history, but his, his uh, recruiting history. You can read through the lines there with the NCAA. Um, so that's so, certainly a narrative that's going to happen. Um, with either opposing fan bases or just from a general perspective. But uh, it's a different era of college football with the NIL deals and everything like that. Um, but I still think that he's going to make an instant impact in this recruiting trail. Um, and on the defensive line, he's another guy who went from coaching uh, uh, NFL athletes on the, on the defensive line to now coaching college athletes. You know, that's going to make an impact on um, players who are already in the program, players who want to be in the program, they're going to see that he was an NFL coach and have that same mentality. It's similar to how uh, defensive former defensive line coach Joe Salavea was an NFL player. It was a good one at that. And that that really resonated with, with some of the defensive line at Oregon during his time here. Um, so that's going to be another key thing to have for, for Lupoy. And um, again, another championship guy, another national championship guy. And Clem brings in, you know, couple Super Bowl rings with the New England Patriots is a you know the first first draft pick for the Patriots in 2000 some quarterback was taken in the sixth round later but that's another championship pedigree guy that you're bringing in here and that's a different type of pedigree too that's a, yeah. a Bill Belichick pedigree um, so that's something to keep in notice for um, I just wanted to touch on the, the the momentum that Lanning has had like Eric was talking about it's massive it's a huge deal um, almost 23 million people tuned into that game on Monday night against Alabama and Georgia. And they all watched Georgia's defense um, really take it to Alabama at points. And the speed, the athleticism, the physicality, um, the skill set that all these players had was really impressive to watch. And obviously the development of five-star kids is really nice. They already come in with a lot of talent. Um, but that still takes coaching. That still takes dedication. That still takes hours in the weight room. That still takes hours in the practice field. And, you know, I thought what was really fun to see was to see Lanning's position group specifically excel. So, like, all the linebackers, the outside linebackers at that Georgia, especially N'Kobe Dean, who is just a tremendous football player. Um, you know, that's and another great thing to see was when the camera would zoom in to landing on the sideline and just how animated he was and how passionate and how driven he was to tell his guys what's going on, you know, frantically drawing on the whiteboard. It was really funny. It was like an NBA coach during a media timeout, but he, you know, he has that drive and he has that passion. I think that's really going to resonate with, with duck fans and for this upcoming season and, and currently and seeing how motivated he is how driven he is towards his team and how much he loves the, the sport the team the game all of it all and 
for him to to for his defense specifically to have two unbelievable showings against Bama and Michigan in you know three two weeks time um, is just a huge recruiting momentum for Oregon. Everybody in the world, or not everybody in the world, but everybody in the college football landscape knew that Lanning was going to coach Oregon, and yep. they all saw that defense that he that he brought up. And obviously, it's not only him, but that was his that was his assignment. He's a defensive coordinator to get that defense as good as they can be, and so I think that's going to make a huge impact on on, on fans across the country, on opposing fan bases, on recruits, all of it. So that was a huge thing for Lanning in Oregon. One aspect is, but do we all agree that that I think, at least going in, we don't have a ton of doubts that they're going to be good on-field coaches. That there's going to be, uh, they're going to have the ability to scheme up good stuff. Like I don't think any of us are are doubting that. Um, we certainly, at least for me though, I I look at this and think we certainly know for certain these guys are all really good recruiters. Is that fair to say? I, I know they're good recruiters. Yeah, like yeah. we're not being critical we, of their on-field coaching, and so I don't. I don't want it to come across like we're presenting a fact of these are all just good recruiters, and that's why they're here. Because I don't. I don't think that's true. But you, I, we do need to address and look at, and this is a good thing. This staff has combined to sign sixteen five stars in in their coaching history, and last time I checked. There's not a lot of guys on this staff that are you know, long in the tooth and have been coaching college football for a really long time. Uh, Tosh Lupoy currently has the most signed to his name with seven. He has players like Najee Harris, Shaq Thompson, Keenan Allen, Dylan Moses, Mac Wilson, Jonah Williams, and uh, Tua. Dan Lanning is second, one behind him with six five-stars. Uh, that he has signed in his time, including Nolan Smith, who was the number one player in the country a couple of years ago, uh, Malachi Starks, Brock Vandergoff, Nicobe Dean, Marvin Jones, and Xavier uh, Sori. Demetrius Martin, Oregon's cornerback coach, he has two, Jalen Phillips and Darnay Holmes. And then Adrian Clem has signed one, uh, running back Soso Jamambo. Sixteen. 16 five-stars to their name. Uh, I, I checked USC. They have 13. The battles between these two schools from a recruiting standpoint are certainly going to be fun to watch. And Oregon knows a thing or two about securing five-star guys. Well, I think I think just a couple things in terms of the national landscape of – we saw, again, this year, you need talent to win and to compete. And Georgia and Alabama had the, the two most talented rosters based on the 247 sports talent composite by a pretty decent margin as well. And they played in the championship game. Kind of predictable. To win, you need to have the best players. I mean, just like point blank, that's how it works. And Oregon is recruiting and should or has a staff in place that can recruit at a very, very high level. And I think another thing that really has stood out to me just in the last couple of years is the Pac-12 has whiffed a lot with a lot of its top talent on the West Coast. I mean, you watch that national championship game. The last two touchdowns were scored by players Oregon recruited and missed on. Brock Bowers is a tight end recruit out of Napa. And he's, I mean, an absolutely incredible tight end. Gosh, I, honestly, one of the more impressive true freshman tight ends I've ever seen. I mean, the guy is a stud. Um, and then the touchdown by Keely Ringo to seal it. He's out of Arizona. That's a couple of years ago. Another guy, Oregon, was in on to the end. I think kind of one of the final schools that he was looking at was Oregon. And these are the kind of kids that Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy 
they have a track record of, of, of signing and that they that track record needs to turn into some success in retaining these kids in the West Coast because we're seeing it in these championship games. Shoot, there are quarterbacks on both teams where if Stetson Bennett doesn't step up and as a walk-on, you know, it's going to be JT Daniel versus Bryce Young, a couple of Southern California former five-star recruits. Mm-hmm. At quarterback. I mean, the, 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 the West Coast is developing great talent, and you see it on display on the biggest stage. They're just not in the right uniform. And if you're coaching at Oregon or USC or Washington or wherever school you're at, you have to be motivated by that. I mean, the West Coast is not devoid of talent at all. It's just you're not keeping the guys out here and track. I mean, I think that's why, to me, it was going to be very disappointing if it was not a top-line recruiter brought in at Oregon as head coach. And that's why I was concerned about a Chip Kelly or a Justin Wilcox, who I, I don't doubt can coach. I just don't know if they could recruit. And to compete for championships, you have to get the top guys. And Oregon is giving themselves a chance with a staff like this to go get the top guys and to go compete. And when there are a bunch of highly regarded five stars and high four star recruits out West, to actually keep those guys out here. And I think Mario Cristobal over, obviously over the last three to four years was the most successful of any West coach, sorry, West coast coach in retaining those guys. You know, he has that track record, but it has to be even better under Dan Lanning. And honestly, for the conference's health, Lincoln Riley needs to do a hell of a job at USC. Yes. I mean, I, I think, I think it, you know, I know it, Oregon fans don't want to root for schools in the conference. You should, if you really want to have Oregon or the Pac-12 really contend for championships, I don't want to say root for USC, but certainly don't don't discount the impacts it has of them keeping these five stars in Los Angeles. Like mm-hmm. I, I know you'd rather have a five star go to Alabama or Georgia or Clemson or Ohio State, whatnot, because you don't have to play those teams as frequently. At the same time, USC, you want USC to be good. And really the only chance the Pac-12 has of being viable is having multiple teams contend. And right now we're seeing a scenario where that's not the case. I, I, I saw a stat from John Wilner that really blew my mind that, that the Pac-12 hasn't finished the regular season with three teams or two, or, sorry, more than two teams ranked in the top 25 since 2017. That's terrible. That's like five years with, without having three teams, just three teams ranked in the top 25. That's, that's brutal. Um, and so the Pac-12 has to change that. And, and it's it comes down to Lane. It comes down to Riley. It comes down to one of these new hires. Um, you, you have to win on the trail. And Riley and Landing are, are, are noted ace recruiters. And that's why, to me, there should be some that the conference, at least with those two schools, can, can begin to kind of contend a little bit more nationally. Oregon are actually I went out in the field and beat Ohio State this year to prove a little of that. But there's, the recruiting thing is where it all starts. It's, it's. I'll take a phrase from Mario Cristobal, who I know is Voldemort on this podcast, but it's the lifeblood, of <laughs> right? It is. It's your lifeblood. It's, yeah. it's, it's talent acquisition. You have to have the best players. And if you're Oregon, I think you've built a staff that allows you to do that. And now you need to see that pay dividends. And the same thing at USC and around the conference. These these programs need to recruit better, and they need to keep some of this talent out west. And it's honestly, as somebody who loves West Coast football, it's it's tough watching a national championship game. It's good seeing West Coast players succeed. Don't get me wrong. It's just tough seeing those guys and think, gosh, if they were, you know, in Oregon's colors or USC's colors or whatever color in the Pac-12, how does that impact the landscape of things out West? Yeah, I mean, Eric, we, we kind of texted about this during the during the during the championship game, just how there are a lot of players on that field who are from California, who are from Arizona, Utah, places like that, and how it. Just it doesn't feel it doesn't feel necessarily right that they're playing for Georgia and Alabama in the national championship game. Um, and you know, from my perspective, it's just kind of uh, you know, why wouldn't you? 
Yo, yeah. What what Pac-12 school has made you feel like, oh, I'm going to compete at the highest level on the biggest stage and the, under the brightest lights all the time with this program? And, you know, 10 years ago, it was definitely USC, someone like that. Um, Oregon, it's been it recently. Washington had its day in the sun. UCLA is always a high-profile name. But Georgia and Alabama have been there consistently for decades. Um, you, I mean, you had Henry Tuotoo go to Tennessee out of high school picking like them over USC and, and, and Oregon and, and other Pac-12 schools. Out of, I think he's out of Concord in California. I know he's just a Southern California kid. Um, now he's on Alabama, but he's a starting linebacker on Alabama. That's as good as it's going to get in terms of what who can see me and all of that. And yeah, we you know Brock Brock Bowers is just unbelievable this year. Freshman out of Napa, California. Um, even his backup tight end, Darnell Washington, another Phoenix kid, another Arizona kid who's a five star recruit who is a you know is one of the largest human beings at the age of eighteen that I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, these are these are things that Oregon and and, and Dan Lanning and like you said, Eric, like kind of hoping that USC gets back into the driver's seat. You know, these are things that need to happen for the Pac-12. Um, there are a lot of other things that need to happen for the Pac-12, but making or being competitive in football, as much as it pains us, is the most important thing in collegiate athletics in terms of conference value. So, and Eric, we, we talked about this too. It's like our our you know, the Pac-12 is is superior to a lot of conferences in almost every other sport, but it just doesn't matter. It's just football or bust for for the national perspective, um, and there's just a, a a different type of atmosphere that SEC programs have compared to Pac-12 programs. And you know, Mario Cristobal tried his best to bring that to Oregon, that SEC, that that old school, that Miami mentality, and I think he did a really good job. And I think that's why the program went in that similar direction with another SEC coach. And you hope that Landon can continue to have that type of performance on the recruiting trail. And this goes back to the coaching staff where they are all decorated recruiters. Um, there's a couple guys who have hit the, the Southeast and, and Texas really hard. Um, there's a couple guys who have hit the, the Pacific Northwest and the West Coast really hard. So you have a diverse group of coaching of a coaching staff that can um, you know, hit areas hard in recruiting. Um, Florida is another one that they have a couple guys who have been down there. You know, you look at Lanning's pedigree there, Lupoy, all these guys have, have impressive coaching resumes in, in terms of recruiting. Um, I'll go back to Matt's original comment a little bit ago about, um, their coaching abilities. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about their coaching abilities. Just want to kind of clear up my message about it all. Um, I'm not concerned about their coaching abilities. I am a proponent of, of seeing rather than just believing. Um, I want to see how they look. And a lot of these guys, first-time play callers. And, you know, Eric mentioned earlier, Dan Lenny, first-time head coach. Um, Tosh Lupoy hasn't been a defensive coordinator in a couple of years. Kenny Dillingham has, a, has never called plays. Um, I'm not really worried about that one. It, it, if you're 31, 32, however old, Dillingham is and you've been the offensive coordinator at Auburn and then Florida State I think you have a pretty good idea of what you're doing but you know Carlos Lachlan's again we'll go back to him he's never being like a full-time on-field coach really before at the collegiate level um, those are things you have to address those are things you 
have to take note of. You can't just turn your eye to them and be like, ah, well, they either do or they don't. And it's like, well, people would like them to figure it out. Um, and until we see it all come to fruition, until we all you know see how they act in a game in the first year, in the first drive, or the first series, we won't really know. And I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that it'll go over just fine. Um, but even a, even a team with Oregon in the last couple of years with much more experienced head coaches and assistant coaches, there are still issues of interesting coaching decisions that happen. I'll keep it at that. Um, and so, you, you know, you kind of wonder what it's going to be like with guys who just haven't coached nearly as long. Um, but it could be a good thing. It could just be a completely different mentality that goes on with the youth movement. And there's there could be no issues or there could be just a myriad of issues that cause the program to go into turmoil because of how little experience people have. So I'm just in a wait and see mode. I know that they can recruit. I am waiting to see it, that they can coach at an elite level. Quick note about Eric's comment of all the talent that was from the West coast in the national championship game. Uh, over 10 players were on scholarship and were playing in that game. If you include JT Daniels, who was the backup quarterback for Georgia, who many people were clamoring needed to play in the first, I don't know, three quarters because of how Stetson Bennett was playing for Georgia uh, at that at that game. Um, that's unacceptable. Whether it's Oregon or like you guys have said, USC or other schools within the conference, those those guys cannot get out of the West Coast. You're not going to stop everybody from leaving, especially in today's day and age where it's so easy for uh, Dan Landing and Eugene to call up a recruit in, in Miami and watch his film and show him a, a tour of Oregon virtually and get him to commit. It's equally as accessible and, and possible for those schools in the South to do that for West Coast kids. You're not going to stop everybody, but the, the league needs to really limit the flow of talent leaving um, and, and, and shrink it down and keep some of it here, whether that's at Oregon, I think Oregon can do a large part in that, whether that's other programs as well, picking up the slack. Um, and to Jared's point, it's a good point. Like we know all these guys are recruiters, like we've seen their success. They've dominated on their trail multiple times. Um, it's while we haven't seen them recruit at Oregon, I don't think there really isn't any concern there or, or doubt or, we, we want to see it first till we really want to call them um, really special coaches in that regard. We've, we've seen it happen. Coaching, though, you know, scheming and, and play calling and all of that, that's where, you know, for some of these guys, the questions will, will remain. I, I think to wrap this up, guys, looking at this staff, um, what's next here is they're hiring analysts and, and finding GAs. Um, we should note they don't have any – uh, offensive, defensive, special teams, GAs on staff yet that they're allowed for. So that's probably the next thing that Dan Lanning is going to be doing here is locating, um, you know, graduate assistant coaches because they can be on the field. They do not count towards uh, your 11 staff members that you're allowed to have on the coaching staff. Um so that, that's a way to get more coaches on is, is get your graduate assistant coaches also go out and fill up your analyst staff. And I think that's where for me, Oregon, whether it was crystal ball staying at Oregon or now with Dan Lanning, that's where they need to continue to push the envelope and continue to invest 
more of their resources into this area to continue to bulk up that department, whether it's a recruiting analyst or whether it's a, 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 a coach that helps with film and breaking down uh, and, and scheming for, for your current on-field coaches. That's where I feel like the, the, the growth can happen now with this, with this program. There's been a shift in the last five, six years of it didn't used to be that big of a deal after yeah. your, and I guess re, previously it was nine assistant coaches and they moved it to 10, but you kind of had your nine assistants, you had your head coach and you had some GAs and, and that was kind of the deal. And then this, the, I guess, addition of, at you know, uh, analysts has really shifted some things and it's not now about now it's now you've got 10 assistant coaches that are on field plus your head coach. So it's not just about your 11. Now it's about six other guys and it's, you know, your, your GAs matter. And, well, your recruiting department is super important. And I think it's not by mistake that Marshall Malkow was one of the first hires, that Don Johnson Jr. was retained as another person they thought was integral to keeping here. Um, you, you, it's it, A football program is a lot more than just your assistant coaches and your head coach now. Um, it's, it's why Wilson Love, as being a strength and conditioning coach as a hire, and, and keeping Shad Williams, why that was such a significant thing. Uh, you know, uh, the, I think you've seen nationally coaches say, you know, sometimes a strength and conditioning program can be just as important as some of the assistant coachings on your, on your, you know, on your staff. So getting Wilson Love, a really up and another up and comer who maybe doesn't quite have the Aaron Feld track record because Feld, by the way, I know everybody wants to make him out to be a gimmick with a mustache and that's all he is, was considered widely one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the country. Um, Love is on that kind of trajectory. He's another really young guy. He was at, Played at Alabama in 2015, um, or, or maybe it was 2014, but was I think a GA at, at Alabama in 15. He's a recent guy. Um, that's why that was so significant. It's why the way that these analyst hires go it will be important as well, because that couple of things. If and you've seen this happen a lot now in the SEC with Saban um, and with Kirby Smart, that almost acts as a minor league baseball kind of you know field, you know farm system with your staff of. Okay, Dane Lanning's going, and well, we're just going to promote Muschamp to being full time on staff again. Who, by the way, it's kind of crazy. He's just like sitting around, not as a full time. Yeah, right? <laughs> but that's the way it works. And I'm not saying Oregon's not going to have the luxury that Saban or Smart have of having former head coaches as analysts. More than likely, maybe it happens eventually with Lanning if Oregon becomes a destination. But it will. What it will provide is. Hey, let's say I'm not even going to name a coach because it's so preliminary and that we're just talking about them being hired. But let's say a couple of years down the line, one of Oregon's on-field assistants takes off because they're becoming a head coach somewhere else. Oh, now maybe you have an analyst to take a look at and say, well, he was working under Coach X for the last several years. Maybe this is a natural transition that he's promoted to some sort of role at this similar, um, you know, or, or these analysts themselves become assistant coaches at other places. And then you circle back around in two or three years and bring them back. I mean, that's what happened with Rod Chance at Oregon. He was an analyst and eventually he went out and did a little bit of a, you know, assistant coach at get Minnesota for a year or two and then came back and was Oregon's corners coach. I mean, that's the nature of the business. So these analyst hires, while it's easy to kind of overlook them because you're not going to they're not going to be interviewed. We don't get to interview these guys for the most part, um, you know, unless they're elevated to to on-field coaching roles. Um, and you know, they're maybe not talked about quite as much. They're integral parts of this development and so i know it feels like the staff been, you know the hirings have been kind of completed and the main ones have been but there's still some some serious work to be done not just with analysts but with recruiting staff with strength and conditioning staff with 
um, other director of personnel positions. Um, you know, there are a couple of guys I know that they're, are waiting to see if their jobs are retained from the previous staff that were in kind of administrative roles. You know, there's a lot of stuff that still has to be short sorted out. And that's why getting landing to Eugene in the last 24 hours is significant. So he can kind of hit that, you know, hit the ground running with that regard. It's, it's, there's still quite a bit to be done, even though the assistant staff is finalized. I can't wait to see the a million of analysts and off field staff that come to Oregon in the next you know couple of months, because that's how it is in the SEC. Um, there is a, there is a footage from somebody in the press box who captured the, the celebration of, of, of the Georgia coaching staff running onto the field. Um, first, you know, great moment for Georgia, but holy cow, there's a lot of people who work for that football team and that program. And I think you're going to see something similar to that uh, at underlanding. Um, it may not be the first year because maybe he just won't have enough time or people won't, re- won't want to join him, um, whatever the case may be. But I do feel like you saw that movement into hiring more of the of, of analysts off the field and, and coaches of that matter um, under Cristobal throughout his tenure, just adding more and more and more people. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea um, unless you're somebody who doesn't take criticism well or somebody who um, doesn't want to listen to other people. Um, more minds, more great offensive, defensive, or just football minds in general that you can talk to about something learn from, um, provide different perspectives on things is huge. Um, in a game where you look for the smallest of advantages in every single situation, um, having as many eyeballs as possible on the situation to try to dissect that advantage is going to be massive for Oregon. And, um, you know, the, the off-field hirings have, have already started for Oregon. Um, I think there's only going to be a ton more in the future. And that goes to offensive and defensive roles, special teams roles. But like Eric mentioned, it also goes to, to recruiting and, and strength and conditioning. Um, recruiting has, has taken off in the last five or six years, I would say, in, in terms of just any team can go out and get any player if they, if they try their hardest. Um, and while that is true in some cases, if you're, Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, it's not true for most teams, but um, the coast-to-coast recruiting that those four teams that I mentioned have just have showed up and what we've talked about earlier in the pod has made recruiting even that much more of a staple of every football program. Um, you know, having general managers for your, <laughs> for your total football team, um, which is what Marshall Malkow kind of is. He's not, he's the director of, of, football relationships or he's I can't remember his official title but he's like chief of staff chief of staff thank you it's a ridiculous title to own in the sport of football <laughs> but he owns it and someone like uh, Matt Lindsay who was a general manager at Ole Miss um, he's not with Ole Miss anymore I can't remember where he went to but being the general manager in a football program something else um, you'd think it's a fortune 500 company which kind of it is, at it is. and Right. And um, you need your CEOs, you need your chief of staffs. And that's what Oregon is hiring. That's like a different kind of perspective. It's more of that SEC landscape that Mario Cristobal tried to bring in and did a really good job of. And I feel like now Oregon is just kind of kind of getting into it even more. I think Mario Cristobal brought the foundation and now Yelanning is here to decorate. 
he's here to make this his own place. He is here to really solidify what they're trying to do. Um, and it starts in the recruiting trail. And I think over time, it's just going to be, um, I, 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 in general, I'm excited about the program of, or, or the direction of the program where, um, and if you're, you know, imitation is this finest form of flattery and to try to imitate Georgia or try to imitate Alabama or, or teams that have won national championships. I don't, I don't see that as a bad thing. And I feel like that is for the most part, what Oregon is trying to accomplish. I, for me, I feel like most teams should try to accomplish this because, you know, that path wins. And when you have the resources and, and, um, player development and, and the player talent on the West coast, like Oregon has, there's no reason not to go after that mentality and, and design of a program. Just the structure of, of college football has changed of building a staff. There's more people involved. There's, you know, the NCAA, what, three or four years ago, five years ago, um, passed a, a policy change where if you're an employee at the University of Oregon in the athletic department or at the, at the school, um, you can be involved in the recruiting process on campus. Um, it, it's not just the the coaches anymore. It used to be coaches, but, but now – you can have your analysts, you can have uh, your social media team. If you've got someone in staff at the athletic department that really knows marketing and every school does, they have multiple people in that regard, but really gets marketing and really gets how to push brands and build brands. That person can be involved and make presentations in a recruiting standpoint to get a player to, be interested in, in, in your school and you can have recruiting analysts. You know, one of the, the coaches that Oregon is, is supposedly hiring is coming for an analyst role. It's coming from USC. And this coach has a very strong relationship with five-star Josh Connerly. He is because he's recruited in the last couple of years as an off-field coach. And he's kind of like USC's, at USC, they, their assistant coaches are involved in the process with Connolly. They've got the, they've got the best relationship probably with him on within the USC program. But this analyst that Oregon is supposed to be hiring is probably the, the the person that has the second best relationship ahead of the offensive line coach, and that that's why these guys can be valuable because they their their entire day is literally to be in constant communication with recruits or their entire day is to just be breaking down film of yourself or of your upcoming opponent or that big game three weeks down the road that as fans, everyone's looking forward to and not focusing on the, the next two games, but the coaching staff, they can't, well, this guy can, he can, he can devote three weeks of prep to the Ohio state game. Uh, mm-hmm. While the rest of the coaching staff is, is, prepping for the games each week. These are, this is why it's so important to, to build up your co- your off field coaching staff. No doubt. No, the things have shifted. It, it used to be a very different game and you have to adapt. And I think Oregon under Dane Lanning, I don't have any doubts that they're going to do whatever it takes to do so. Yeah. We talked about the youth there. There's an understanding, I think of what you need to do. And you've already seen them start with some analysts that are supposedly bring brought on and some GAs that are, reportedly being targeted that that process is ongoing and and we're going to have updates over the next couple of weeks i don't know if we'll devote an entire podcast to just analysts but 
maybe at some point when things kind of slow down after signing day, maybe sometime in February or March, it'll be worthwhile to, hey, spring ball's here. Here's who are going to be kind of helping out. And you'll see them, you know, you'll see these faces around. I mean, I think Oregon has had, obviously had numerous analysts under Mario Cristobal. Nate Costa being one. Yeah. Kwame, Kwame Ajiman being another. Those are two former Oregon players that were analysts at Oregon. Those are names that Oregon fans knew. You're going to, I think, familiarize yourself with other analysts. Many of them will not have ties to Oregon. I think that, by the way, I can't really think of anybody that Dan Lanning has hired so far that played at Oregon or went to school at the University of Oregon. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think, you know, you saw for a long time it was you needed to have some kind of a tie to the university. That's no longer the case, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It's the best person for the job. There will be instances where Oregon people are considered and maybe are retained. Like a Tony Washington, I know, is somebody who played at Oregon. He's been in an administrative role. There's a chance he's retained. But you're not seeing an overarching theme of it's Oregon, Oregon, Oregon guys. It's guys from all over the country, and it's the best available. And I think that's the approach that Dan Landing is taking. And that's the approach he said he would take on his press conference when he was asked about building a staff, but also about building a, a team with recruits. We're going to go get the best available. And that's the approach, I think, for both. Yeah, I think he's just going to attack it again like he always does, and that's you know hard and fast and trying to get the best. And again, I I love seeing what what coaching staffs can look like with all their analysts. Um, just I, to me, the more the merrier. I think it's always just a better idea to have as many as many people and talented guys as you can to look at a situation and and just try to get something uh, something out of it and then hear different perspectives and just kind of have a whole different mentality in terms of your your coaching staff and try to diversify it as much as you can from people across the country, uh, just in general, the people, um, your coaching staff. And um, I think Lanning's on his way to doing that. And just excited to see which which names keep popping up for new roles off the field. Um, it's a good start. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Until we come back on Friday, have a good week. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.